All right, guys, what's going on? We are live here at the round table. We got an exciting, a good crew today. Um, but yeah, we're excited to have you guys on the screen. And those who are watching, welcome to the round table where we're fighting isolation with fun conversations with interesting people. And this morning, we've got some very interesting people. Here's what we need. And this is why these guys are on the screen. Uh, what we need, what I need, is perspective. That's the theme of today, perspective. And what better way to get it than talking with some guys who have a lot of life experience. And uh, I want to introduce you guys, but first, uh, I want to start with a quote from Mark Twain. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> well, now that I'm 43, I crave time with older people. I love the time that I get with you guys every Wednesday morning. Uh, we meet at, we've been meeting at eight o'clock. Uh, here on Zoom, and we're missing one of our guys, John Linder. Uh, he's kind of missing in action uh, to the whole Zoom thing. He's not a big fan. We would have had him on as well. I'm glad to have you guys. And I just think about all the life experience that's represented on the screen. Uh, I call you guys the Caleb's of Veritas. And uh, Dad, you're in Omaha, so usually you don't meet us with us, but you have met with us since we've been here on Zoom. And so you're in Omaha, but uh, we've got Doug Boatman with us. Doug's got the cool glasses. Uh, and uh, Doug's a retired radiologist. Um, and I can't wait to hear from you, Doug. And we've got Jim Walker uh, with us. Jim is, uh, yeah, great, incredible story. You'll have to explain what you did at the university. We'll get into that. But uh, you're a fun guy to listen to and hear from. And we got my dad, Jack Arendt, uh, who's in Omaha, and uh, he's going to be sharing uh, with us. And then Jeff, as always, uh, co-hosting with me. So, um, hey, Let me just point it out, by the way, um, for the first time in all of our long history of roundtables, I'm the second youngest guy on the screens right now. <laughs> I have been far and away the oldest dude on the screens. <laughs> so, uh, well, they say, um, I guess they say if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. And, um, uh, I, I feel when I come together with you guys, I'm definitely in the right room. Mm. And that's what I love. And I, you guys, I look forward to this time in my week, uh, my time with you guys, uh, almost more than any other meeting that I have. And because I just, I so appreciate the time that we have together. So um, I want to start um, and just let people get to know you guys. And I'm going to, I'm just going to like throw you a little softball and, and let you share. Uh, Doug, I want to start with you. And I want you to just share how you came to know the Lord. How you, you know, your story is, and, and give us the, yeah. Just the long, the short version or the long version. <laughs> Whichever version you want. You're probably the short version. Uh, 
I, I was, I guess, no, I, used to, I was a cultural Christian all my life, Methodist, growing up in a small town in southern Iowa. But I came to the university and didn't have anything to do with church. Uh, no one ever talked to me about Jesus. And then I ended up, you know, going to medical school, working hard. My, uh, I guess my God through many years until I was about 40 was uh, working hard, making money, the hospital, you know, it was fairly exciting, but that was, that was my God. I'm sure of that. And, uh, but uh, I had some unfortunate things happen, including a, a bad clinical depression, a divorce, and I found my life was not very good. I ended up getting remarried to Jean, who everybody knows, and uh, our marriage wasn't very good because she had her kids, I had my kids. Uh, I still hadn't learned how to be a husband. And through the years, I'd always seen Billy Graham on TV and I, I thought maybe I kind of want some of that. And once, so one Sunday morning, I, I was kind of fiddling around with the TV dial and I uh, found Charles Stanley in touch ministries on TV. And I started watching that. And then within a, a few weeks, I had trapped Gene into watching it. And so we, we did that for two years. Almost every Sunday that we were in town and we, we took notes, bought Bibles, sent money to him. And we came to Christ. Uh, and it, it was just, it, it wasn't like a, you know, rockets going off or anything. It was a slow process of education. He explained everything well to both of us. And we, and we just decided that's what we wanted the rest of our life. And, uh, and then one, one Sunday morning, he said, you can't be going to church if you're in your bathrobes and drinking coffee. You have to find a, a church that uh, teaches the Bible. And, and so we, uh, that, and that's where we ended up. Uh, Doug, but, Doug, I love the way you got to back up because when you talk about you and Gene sitting there on the couch and all of a sudden he's looking straight at you and saying, hey, if you're sitting on your couch right now in your bathroom, like, <laughs> God, God has his way. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just love that part of the thing where you're looking at each other like, can he see us through this? Thing? <laughs> That's, that with, we didn't have a smart TV in those days. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway... Uh, because of it, our marriage, you know, just slowly uh, improved. I, we both learned how to be a spouse the right way. And, uh, and, and that's what we, we hope right now that we're an example of that to other people. And, uh, and then that brings us to Veritas, which we were interested in Veritas because of the college ministry, because I can never remember anybody ever talking to me about Jesus on the campus of Iowa. 
it, it may have been that I was, wasn't ready anyway, maybe, you know, who knows, but, uh, but uh, that's why we've always been interested in, you know, in doing things with college people. I, I want to give a word of encouragement to anybody who's listening that feels like they've kind of made a mess of their life because Doug, you, you and Gene did just about everything wrong. <laughs> and I look at you guys and I would say God has used you guys as much as any other person to plant Veritas church, to invest your life in discipling the next generation in encouraging me and the body of Christ in hospitality, in devotion. And I look at your life, it, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle that any of us are Christians, but I just want to say, what an encouragement. I mean, the, when you share your story and you and Jean and how you came together and your life and, you know, kids and I, I, I know, yeah, it's just, it's the grace of God. So I just want to exalt in God's grace that has saved you and given you such a ministry in my life and in our church. We are thankful and, and we're humbled constantly by it. Wow. Wow. Um, I want to move on to, to, to Jim. Uh, Jim, I would love for you to share just a little bit of your story. And I would love it if you could share um, a little bit about some of the challenges that you've had um, that you've shared uh, and how you've seen God's power okay. made perfect in your weakness. So <clears throat> your story. Um, I would say the, my life is learning to become um, an individual to be, get involved in other people's lives. And, um, and what I mean by that, and the reason is that when I, when I grew up, um, I had and still have a severe learning disability, and we call it dyslexia. But what it, what it is, it's one of a family of learning disabilities and challenges where you have delayed speech, um, you can't connect symbols and words, uh, you can't spell, your auditory processing difficulties heighten your problem with interacting with people. And as a result, when I grew up, um, I had a very difficult time relating to people because I couldn't communicate. And um, this was throughout school. And um, I couldn't read, couldn't spell, couldn't write. And actually, my brother had dyslexia worse than I did. And so it, it ended up that my life was largely being by myself. And I remember being young, um, actually 10 years old, actually a little less than that, my dad gave me a rifle and said, well, go out there and hunt. So I used to spend my time hunting by myself. And largely my life in school was being pretty much um, uh, by myself because the problem was 
I had difficulty in communicating and relating and understanding. And dyslexia would be an example like um, having a cell phone that has a poor connection. You're just not quite sure what you heard. And so when you're having a conversation with somebody, first and foremost, what you have to do is you have to, well, did I hear what they said? Then you have to process what they said. Then you have to pull together the information to make a response to what they said. And by that time, the conversation is well past where you are. And so in the end, what it ends up being is that you end up being by yourself because you have a hard time relating to people. Um, and so I remember in my faith walk, when I was eight years old, I was lying down on the concrete, looking up at the stars. And I remember saying distinctly with intention that God, I know that you're there and I'm going to find you. I am going to spend my life seeking and searching you out because I know you're there. And my life story has been that. I've been faithful to that intent, and I've been seeking and pursuing God ever since that time. Um, in fact, when I was younger, I used to go to churches at night, in the middle of the night, and stay in the church in the middle of the night, like in, especially in high school, go to these big Catholic churches, and they were open then, and I would sit there, and just wait. And I said, God, I know you're here somewhere. I'm just going to wait. And I used to spend time in the middle of the night waiting for hours for God. And actually, even in college, in my college years, there was a local church that I went over to, and I would spend there when I finished studying, when the library closed at midnight, I'd go over there and sit in the church. And they said, well, I know God's here somewhere. But see, at that time, I had no teaching. I didn't grow up in a Christian family, didn't know anything, didn't have a Bible or anything. I was just pursuing God in the only way I knew how. And in the end, as it turned out that God was always merciful to me because I have many, many occurrences where God shepherded me along, brought a person into my life, opened the door for me, and in the end, he showed me that he was there because that grace was given to me by somebody else who would shepherd and help me along. And it was always my desire, if, I, if somebody would do that to me, then I would like to do that for others as well. And so being, having people shepherd me when I was having uh, difficulty in school, difficulty in relating, um, really transformed my life. And I've had a number of occurrences where God has simply shown up in my life in these open doors that now later I look at and say, it was just an incredible experience. And so in the end, I found the Lord and I found the Lord less in the church, but more in people in people's lives, though, that, that, that were motivated and touched and overwhelmed by the Lord and their love for others. And that was an example to me of what Jesus is about. Shepherding, loving, encouraging, walking with you, being there always through thick and thin, through the difficulties in life, 
through the challenges in life, uh, he's been always merciful. And he's done that by bringing alongside somebody in my life that without which my life would never be what it is now. Wow. Wow. Jim, I, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, Jim, that it's just so remarkable when I hear your story. And I think maybe younger people, you know, they're going to be watching this might have some romanticized idea of the way that things used to be when you were in high school and college and think, oh, it must have been kind of like that. Nice boys just walking into church at night <laughs> and looking for, and that's not true, right? The same sins, like I, not that much younger than you, and that is not what I was doing at midnight. <laughs> you know, one, I had, I wouldn't have been in the library till it closed, but even if I had been, uh, I would be hitting the bars after that, not, not the churches or whatever. And I'm just saying, like, it just makes me think of verses like Hebrews 11, 6, where it says, God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Like you just had this, this desire for God, or maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch or something like even before you had all the puzzle pieces put together, you had an earnest desire to know God. And he must have just been beaming down, just eager to reveal himself to you in that way. So anyway, I'm just saying, Jim, that's such a remarkable story. You, you stood out from, from your peers, certainly, uh, as, as somebody that was earnest about seeking God. So that's, that's just remarkable. Jim, I was going to ask, uh, is it true that you had a teacher say, you'll never be anything more than a garbage man or something like that? Oh, yeah. That um, in junior high, um, I had the principal come up to me instead. And this, this, our junior high was about 3,000 kids. And he came up to me and he knew me and he said, you know, you're the dumbest kid in school. And I, I was because I couldn't read and write. And, um, but the, the example of somebody that came alongside me was that I took chemistry in high school, my 11th grade year. And this teacher her name was Margaret Fallon. And she came up to me and said, I know that you can do this. And she was the only person in my life who ever said I could do anything. And what happened was when I went to, to try to get in college, at that point in time, state schools had to accept everybody because that was a requirement. They wouldn't accept me. So I couldn't even get her into a state school. And so the teacher said, well, I'll, I'll, so they took me over to this small private school and she took me to the register and said, I know he can do it. Just give him a chance. Mm. So, I, so I got into college on probation. Jim, by this time, could you, how was your reading and your writing? Oh, uh, I couldn't write very well at all. I couldn't spell very well. Um, <clears throat> I, I probably could read about, oh, somewhere around 75 words a minute. So it takes a long time to read. Um, <clears throat> and so at this point in time, it was extremely difficult when they, um, oh, 
Jolene was saying something about, well, my ACT, um, to give you an idea, actually my GRE, um, I had a four percentile. <laughs> so much for standardized testing. So much for Jeff was saying about the library. I actually closed the library every night for four years. Wow. So, Jim, you have a PhD in something. What, what is it? <clears throat> I have a PhD in biochemistry. So when I, when I graduated from college, I graduated with a, ma a major in chemistry and biology and geology. And then um, after I got back from Vietnam, um, this is, I don't want to keep going about this, but through a series of circumstances, God took me into this building and I met this person at um, 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. And I said, this was in the Department of Biochemistry at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And she said, well, why don't you start graduate school on Monday? So, and then apply later. Well, I started with the medical student class um, in um, 1971. I started with the medical student class with 200 students. And uh, so I made my application. And when they got my test results and my scores and so forth, they said, you're not the kind of teacher, I mean, a student we want. And I said, well, let's see how I do in the medical student class because it was near the end of the semester. And if I do okay, then um, will you let me in? They said, yes. And so I was pretty much at the top of the medical school, school class. And there was 200 students there. And, um, and actually the funny thing, I got out my transcript oh, last year and I was showing Jolene I want you to see that I was admitted to graduate school on probation. I graduated with a PhD in biochemistry with a major in um, organic and quantum mechanics. And I graduated summa cum laude on probation. So that's my story, but it's... Um, Really what it is, um, it's a willingness to never relent, never quit, never give up, never. Mm. I, I don't know if you guys heard, he said the word, the words quantum mechanics. Of, I think Einstein studied that stuff. Jim, I, I would say you're one of the most brilliant people that I know. And uh, you and Jolene are fascinating people because she's your equal in many ways, uh, you know, in her own right. And her brilliance uh, has been a blessing to Letha and our family and wisdom, not just smart, but wise. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I, I thank God for your story and what an encouragement. For those of you guys who want to hear more about Jim's story, uh, Mikey Stewart on his podcast, The Grain of Salt, did a whole interview with Jim. You can hear more about that. And, and I'm sure more will come out in this conversation, some stories from Vietnam and um, 
you know, some of that stuff might come up, but go to the grain of salt. Uh, again, Mikey Stewart's podcast, and he did an interview with Jim. You can find it. Um, dad, let's, let's move to you. And, uh, I, I don't know where you want to start, uh, or what you want to share about your life. Um, do you want me to toss you a question or do you want to just start talking until you figure out what you want to say? <laughs> well, I love the stories of these two fellas, Doug and Jim. And uh, my story is quite different because I grew up in a, I grew up in a, uh, in a fourth generation Christian home. My grandparents and great grandparents uh, were, were devout believers and really sincere in their faith. And so I heard the gospel from childhood and, uh, and I, uh, I still drive by the little church that I grew up in. And sometimes I joke with my wife. I'm, I said, I got saved there about every week because every time an evangelist would come through, I'd feel convicted. Uh, so, uh, so I grew up just uh, with, with a Christian, with the message so impressed on me. And so from, an, from childhood, I remember God speaking to my heart and just drawing me to faith. And, uh, so, but I love the way God uses all kinds of, all kinds of circumstances. And Mark has grown up in, you know, you grew up in a, like a fifth generation Christian home. Hopefully it got distilled, you know, um, as it, as it got down to you. Yeah, I was, dad, I always say that, um, for a lot of guys, um, you know, some of the people on the screen, these guys on the screen, you know, the path of righteousness for them probably feels like trying to find a deer trail through the woods. Like it's just so it's hard to find because it was not given to them. It's not a well-worn path, but for me, it's like a six lane interstate. Like God forbid if, <laughs> if I go off the path because it's unmissable. I mean, I'd have to crawl over like barbed wire fences and thorns to get onto an evil path, you know? And so God have mercy if I uh, drop the ball on that one. But I, I have so much, yeah, it, I'm thankful. And also I have so much admiration for uh, those of you guys that that have blazed a new trail for the generations that come behind you. But, That's right. Um, Dad, I want to, I want to ask you some of, uh, about some of your axioms. Um, I, I did a whole sermon on your life and kind of the, you know, I was speaking on a men's retreat and I just kind of made up a sermon on Sunday morning and it was based on your life. And I ended up preaching it at Veritas and it was one of my favorite messages, but it's just things that you've said and lived over the years. And I want you just to, I want to ask you a couple, I want to share some axioms and just have you expound on them. But what do you mean when you say, one of the things you say a lot is it's better to be blessed than smart. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, I think, uh, I think that we would all say that God broke into our lives, uh, you know, has broken into our lives in many ways. And, uh, and we, um, we, we, we have this sense that when God, God is your helper and he, 
he kind of overcomes some of your some of your shortcomings. You know, there's there's no way that I could have had had any business success if God hadn't just blessed it. There's no way my kids uh, would have would have uh, loved Jesus unless he poured poured his life into them. I mean, it's it's there's no way I would have met my wife. Uh, you know, if God hadn't just brought her in. So as you, as you see circumstance in your life, you can see how God really orchestrated things to make them, to, to, to turn what could have been a disaster into good. And he still does yeah. that. He still does that all the time. Wow. I, I often feel like God would have a much better church if I wasn't the pastor. <laughs> and you just feel, I, I feel that, you know, just a, a gratitude, you know, that, that he uses people like us, you know, in our inadequacy and his strength is perfected in our weakness. And I think that's, um, you know, people were encouraged after that sermon, dad, because they said, they said, Mark, the thing that was so encouraging is that your dad set the bar so low. <laughs> like, I feel like if I were to, if, if we would have put the bar any lower, it would be like a sewer pipe or something. Uh, so thanks for that. Well, there, you know, there, there's an axiom that has, uh, and I don't know if you use this one in your message, but uh, you had just mentioned that you were going to bring this up. Uh, and I thought of one that's been real meaningful to me lately. And that is... If you expect it to be there, you've got to bring it. Did you use that one, Mark? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you, and another one, and another one is. Before oh. you go on, say what you mean by that. If you want it to be there, you got to bring it. Yeah. Have you ever heard people say, well, I went to that church and they weren't friendly and nobody greeted me, you know, and I went to that place, people were not friendly. And I th think, well, were you friendly? Did you, did you bring uh, a friendliness? Did you reach out to people? Uh, yeah. and, and I think that we, we actually have the power to change the atmosphere in a room by bringing joy, uh, love, friendliness. Uh, and, and so if, if you expect there to be warmth, encouragement, love, bring it. You have, it's kind of like going to a potluck and not bringing anything and then complaining about the food. <laughs> well, Jack, Jack all, all of us that know you are here to testify. That axiom is true. You bring it everywhere you go, man. You, you bring it. Everybody feels better about being on this planet Earth because you step into the room. And so you, you don't come empty handed to the potluck of life, man. That's, you live by that. That's it's beautiful. Well, well, there's another there's another axiom that came to mind too as I was thinking about that, and I think Mark might have used this one. He said, uh, he said, just keep showing up. You know, a big part of ministry and life is just being faithful and just continuing to show up. But then I thought, wait a minute, that's that's only partially true because you can keep showing up, but you've got to show up bringing it. It's kind of like, because uh, I think we all know people that show up, 
that that don't that like there might be a people that show up that are I, there's some funny expressions like a Debbie Downer or a or a uh, or a negative Nancy or a or a Bobby Buzzkill <laughs> or a Clarence complainer. Well, you Dad, know. Dad, after I, I shared that just show up thing, uh, there was a guy, uh, you know, Drew Stevenson, we were talking about, there was a guy that had long time, uh, you know, church person. And he said, man, Mark, he's really taking you up on that just show up because that's about all they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the idea, maybe the idea is, add yeah, to show that. up, but bring, bring, uh, that positive spirit bring a a desire to use what you have to bless other people you know it's not just showing up but it's showing up with with uh bringing something well we have this thing before we get too uh puffed up about bringing it um, we also bring other things we also bring uh food that nobody likes to the potluck uh you have this saying it's a uh, you know, the errants, we never get ulcers, but we give them to a lot of people. <laughs> what do you mean by that one? Well, sometimes we're carefree and we, we say things off the cuff and, and we, uh, we get people to do stuff that, you know, we, we're, we're kind of instigators, I guess. And... Uh, I know my wife is a uh, is a more organized. She's very organized and structured, and I bring chaos and and uh, uh, spontaneity. So <laughs> so I can sometimes it wears her out, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's probably some daughter-in-laws. Oh like, man! Yeah, yeah. They're too yeah, nice to say anything, but I'll bet you hear about it later. <laughs> Yeah, Letha lives with it every day. So anyway, all right, let's let's move on. We'll we'll come back to some fun axioms maybe later. Um, I want to uh, just some random stuff that I I love about hanging out with older people is perspective. Um, Doug, I think about you. I mean, years and years of you were a doctor and in the medical as a physician, um, and you've said some things that just random things, and I'm like, whoa, that's you know, uh, super helpful to me. Um, I want to jump back to you and just, do you have any, do you have any advice, you know, as someone who was a longtime physician talking to young people on how to live a healthy life and, you know, we don't have to get super spiritual, but yeah, you got any, you got anything for us? Well, I guess moderation, but, uh, uh right now with the coronavirus i think fear is one of the biggest problems <clears throat> and i i uh, you know there are just a few you know going to the doctor there are just a few things you can do you know there are some prevention things but most of uh, health is lifestyle and, you know, including moderation and in diet, you know, not smoking, uh, 
not uh, drinking too much. And uh, Doug, when you when you talk about uh, fear, can you unpack that a little bit? Like you you didn't start even as a medical professional, you didn't start by saying, "Boy, we've got to watch hygiene," or "We've got to whatever." You started with the emotion of fear. What what did you? Uh, well, it's really come out with this, uh, the coronavirus thing. It's uh, a fear of the unknown. And it's, and I, I mean, there are actually two types of people that I've seen, like on Facebook or people I've talked to, and the people that think the coronavirus is nothing, and the other people that are hiding in their houses. And uh, I've, I think that's where the, the church really needs somehow to act on this and to help people with their fear. Because that's it, eventually it's going to become more of a problem than the virus itself. Uh, like people aren't coming to the doctor right now to get routine medical help. Uh, I, I read an article this morning that um, maybe 80,000 people in the United States are not going to be diagnosed with an early cancer in the next few months. I mean, I mean, I don't know where they come up with statistics like that. I mean, you know, that's that's pretty. Uh, they're they may be they may be kind of fast and loose with, with the uh, numbers, but I, I don't think there's any question that people are not going to do routine uh, prevention that can be done, and cancers won't be found. People are going to stay at home with their heart pain and uh, die from their heart attack instead of being in the hospital. And uh, so, can I ask you guys? You guys are all in the category of over seventy. You know, are are you afraid of this thing? How and how are you thinking through this? I'm. Uh, I'm not as fearful of the viruses. I, I guess if I have an anxiety, which I shouldn't have, it, it's the future, you know, the economic devastation and the uncertainty in people's lives. Uh, it, I mean, that's my biggest problem. I, 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 maybe it's a pride issue with me that I think that I, uh, I could get through the coronavirus because I'm reasonably healthy person without any underlying problems. I, I don't sit around and worry about it, but then again, I'm not, when I go to the grocery store, I don't look for it either. I, I, I think if it's best if you can kind of hold some kind of better treatments in the, you know, even in the next few weeks, but and I, I'm not sure about a vaccine. I think that's a long time coming, if if at all. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, no, I, I I don't sit around and worry about the virus itself. But along with that, Doug, you weren't when you say, but when you go to the grocery store, you don't go looking for it. Like you mask up and you yeah, I, I do spend as little time in there as possible, right? I've heard you talk about the the regimen or whatever that you go through when you yeah. go out in public, right? Yeah. In, if, unless you have an N95 mask, you really, you probably don't prevent getting the, the virus with a mask, but 
the, the important thing about a mask is if you actually have the virus yourself, you may prevent giving it to other people. Hmm. Yeah. Jim, what about you? Are you fearful? I no. think it through this. <clears throat> no. Um, I like Doug and I'm cautious and prudent, but not fearful. Um, I'm less concerned about me and more concerned about um, inadvertently being exposed and bringing it home to, to Jolene. Um, and um, so it's less about me and more about concern for her. But I'm just, I'm prudent in what I do. I'm cautious. Um, I wear my N95, but of course that's one of the areas that I have at the university. So I have that kind of equipment if I need it. Um, but I'm just, I'm prudent. I wear gloves and just cautious. Mm. Um, but I, I try, uh, I'm, I'm not out a great deal, but I do some shopping, but not very much. Um, we don't have any needs anyway, but, um, uh, Jim. Okay. So you bring an interesting perspective because you <clears throat> biochemistry, you understand germ theory. You've seen viruses under microscopes. You've done that, but you also have this perspective of heaven and a future hope. And, you know, how does it not make you more afraid when you understand contagion and how things work scientifically? And, yeah. I just, I don't know. It's just because... The, the idea, for example, like um, organisms like that or viruses like that, um, at the university, one of the areas that I was responsible for overseeing was all the research related to these kind of agents. And we were responsible for ensuring the compliance of the BSL-3. Uh, most of the national meetings I went to were involving people doing research in this area, both at BSL-3s and BSL-4 high containment areas. So I'm familiar with the technology, I'm familiar with the, the viruses and the disease, and know that you can be prudent, but nothing is 100%. Um, and yet at the same time, it's, uh, you can manage it. Um, but eventually the way I feel is that very much like flu, uh, the coronavirus being just an additional kind of flu type virus because what are there six or seven major type of viruses that are coronaviruses and this is just a new one and actually this one is uh, mutating quite a bit uh, and sorry that's why I think some of the issues related to getting secondary infections because you're getting an infection with a different mutation the coronavirus on the East Coast is different than the West Coast. If you look at the, um, the phylogeny of the genetic makeup of these viruses, they've morphed over time, and you can actually use those to take them back to the origination of where it came from. Um, and so um, it's just, I guess I know enough to be dangerous. But it not enough to uh, to be fearful. Can you we <clears throat> after you and I had the <clears throat> privilege of ministering together to a brother who was struggling <clears throat> with some health stuff. We got to pray and and walking out of that 
situation. I remember we were standing on the sidewalk and I said, Jim, are you, are you afraid to die? You know, are you, would you be afraid um, in a similar situation? And you just smiled and you said, I'm so excited. And you said something about time. Can you explain that, your excitement for heaven and what, what you mentioned about time and why you're... I, I feel like our life on earth is an incredible opportunity for us to not only come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, but also to develop the skills and talents and improvements in who we are as people, ultimately for our work for God in heaven. Um, I feel like we're not gonna be there playing golf or simply playing harps, that God has its purpose and, is, and we all have a place uh, and a purpose and intentionality. But back to the question of time, I feel like that, that life is nothing but a thin veil that separates us from the true vision of eternity. That all we're looking very much like, uh, when Doug talks about the, um, um, uh, the book he reads about the cave and the light, uh, this life is nothing more than looking at shadows of true life and when we pass from this world we're going to have a chance to turn around and finally see what is really life is like and what it really is there and so we live in a very thin veil and i am so excited to see what's on the other side of that veil hmm. because i think that's true that's truth and that's what we all long for we all long to know and to see the presence of God. I mean, it's just it's, it's exhilarating to think about. So, wow. Wow. What, I, what I love about that, I think, Jim, is that that same excitement that drew you into that very first empty church in the middle of the night to, to wonder about God after all of your studies in the hard sciences, after all of your you know, technical learning, you still have that same baseline anticipation, excitement. I don't know. It's, it's really cool. Sometimes I think those of us who have not studied the hard sciences might imagine that studies at that depth and, and on that pathway kind of take you away from God, make you more of a materialist. You know, you've, you've managed to dive deep and uh, still keep that just childlike, faith of wanting to see God and wondering what's on the other side of the veil. It's, it's inspiring. It's really inspiring. What I, what I love talking to you guys is uh, there was this, this old pastor, he, he said, you know, um, he kind of went through the decades of life. He said in your twenties, you know, you got a ton of passion, but you have no idea who you are. You're just doing a bunch of different stuff and you're trying to figure it out. He said, by your thirties, you're starting to figure it out. You're starting to get an idea of who you are. Your 40s, he goes, you're kind of getting into, you're, you're developing just a little bit of expertise on something. You're get, acquiring some knowledge. He goes, your 50s, you do your best work because you've got the wisdom of age. You've got the energy of youth still. 
he goes, but your 60s, you do your best thinking. Um, and, and I don't know what's after, you know, 70s. I, I don't know. I think what I love is you guys are doing some of your best thinking. You're reading, you're meditating, you're contemplating. Um, what are the, some of the things you're thinking about right now? What are the, some of the things you're, you're meditating on? Things that, that maybe are fascinating to you because you've had some time to just think. And I can get more specific if we're kind of talking about Doug, I, you're a gracious reader and you're, you know, you've gifted me some books over the years that, that I resonate with the things that you love because you love, uh, I think you're fascinated by the universe, you know, so Doug, maybe I'll, maybe I'll toss you a, a slow pitch and just say like, what, what is fascinating you right now about just the universe and the world God created and well i mean it's it's that same thought we all have how you just can't imagine how big it is and that must be god is really big <laughs> you know and uh i i've got so many you know you have so many questions you want to ask when you get to your real home you know and you'll spend eternity maybe getting those questions answered whatever eternity is i i don't think it's a a time thing i i think there'll be no time in heaven but yeah maybe there'll be daylight and, i mean maybe uh, morning and evening but i i just can't imagine time as we know it doug we're going to tackle that at veritas school of theology doug's one of the doug's one of the freshmen again he's a freshman oh. in vst <laughs> i I've, I've gone back to my old uh, compulsive note-taking already i love it man you're making me nervous because having you out there as a student makes the teacher really nervous but we're going to talk about that idea of is there time in heaven that's that's one of the things we're going to chase down that's awesome yeah. And we don't have to, and then of course we don't have to worry about entropy, about falling apart, you know, here on, you know, as we live now, all things fall apart. And uh, there, no. Wow. This, what will it be like when the second law of thermodynamics doesn't apply in heaven? Losing energy, things moving to chaos. No, no aches and pains. Oh man, that's good. Uh, Dad, what what are you? Uh, what fascinates you right now? Well, um, actually, some of my more inspiring thoughts have come from our time together. Uh, with uh, uh, when 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 I meet with these other old fellas, uh, I especially love the one that Jim said about life being a thin veil. That was like, wow, that, that's, that's something that really challenged me uh, because one of my favorite verses is, is for we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Yeah. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And the idea that everything we see is just so temporary. You know, uh, I've been, uh, I've really enjoyed doing woodworking the last, several weeks that we've been kind of quarantining ourselves 
and I, you know, I, I built some things that I was pretty proud of. They turned out kind of pretty, but I realized in a few years, these things will be gone, you know, and nobody will care. And, and, uh, and I thought the things that we worked so hard to, to create and, and make a, uh, make, make something substantial that it is all, it all goes away. And I, I love the fact that we look, we don't look at, at this earth as he, as he, and, and our lives as, uh, as something of great substance, but we look at the eternal and, and I, there's something that Dallas Willard said about how he thought that when he died, he wouldn't even realize that he had died. That all of a sudden he would just be in the presence of God and it wouldn't, it was just like a continuum. Yeah. And those kinds of things, uh, I have a greater awareness of that, you know, in these days uh, as, I've, as I've aged and realize that when you're in, in your 70s, you don't know how much longer you have, really. Uh, it's just a short, a short, a thin veil between now and eternity. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, I want to ask you guys, while we have you guys, we have over 300 years represented here on the screen uh, that's pretty cool i was thinking about i was thinking about you guys know people who i mean think about your parents think about your your grandparents did any of you know your great-grandparents did any of you ever meet a great-grandparent i did no and so when would they have been born i mean 1800 I mean they, well my grandfather was born in 1882 and he lived to be almost 99 so I knew him well and uh, so his his memory is really fresh in my mind and that's amazing so his his parents would have born, been born you know before or during the Civil War I mean you know I want to ask you guys well one of the things I love about I mean, you guys are basically historians, you know, you, you have these memories of, of life in a different time. And I was wondering if you could just reflect on kind of your own childhood and, and, you know, giving some perspective to some of the younger people that might be listening. I, I think about the different generations, you know, and maybe one way to say this is like observations you have about I mean, you kind of have the, the silent generation or the World War II generation that was born, you know, early 1900s, 1920s. Then you have the boomers, you guys uh, born in the late 40s. You've got the Gen Xers, which is my generation, born from like 65 to 1980. You've got the, the millennials born 1981 to 96. Um, the Generation Z or post-millennials or whatever they're called, they're going to be, you know, born 1997 or after. Um, and then this, you know, my kids, I don't know what their generation's called yet, but I guess my question to you guys is if you go back and you reflect on what your childhood was like, you know, you grew up before electronics, and then you look at, the childhood experience of someone today, my kids. 
what would you want to communicate to them as far as like what's different how your life was different how maybe the world was different what was your what are some of your reflections it's it seemed to be a simpler time um, we we didn't have a tv and we spent a lot of the our childhood outside uh, there was no absolutely no fear of of being swept you know uh, abducted or anything like that we we just roamed around our small town and it was completely seemed to be completely innocent almost of course everybody knew everybody and everybody took care of everybody but uh, we uh, we had a radio and listened to that a little bit but uh, at night but mostly I you know I read books and uh, and and had friends that we that I you know spent a lot of time with and then as I got older I had to work I uh, spent a lot of my free time at a veterinarian's office and tra either traveling with him or helping take care of a small farm that he had for 87 cents an hour uh, but uh, just but I, I'm thankful for all that because if it, I, I was taught how to work and I had a, a similar experience um, um, I would say the the thing that would characterize my growing up and the people my peer group, um, which is truly different than it is now, um, uh, a harder life and a harder time with uh, less nurturing and just get it done. So for uh, to think of analogy, um, your dad would throw you in the deep end and say, okay, we'll learn how to swim. It's like there was no um it was like the responsibility is yours just do it there was no nurturing coddling making excuse uh, as my dad often said if you get in trouble and, and they arrest you don't call <laughs> so the point of which is to say that it was a different place and a different time i like doug um i had started working at the end of elementary school and by the time i had the middle school i had two pretty sizable businesses um, so it was just something you did everybody worked regardless of your age and um i would say the the disadvantage of that is that it's very hard to find your potential it's very hard to be shepherded along, and that's a very difficult way to live life. I would say that the Generation X are those people that I call them the DIMs, D-I-M, and those are the ones that are do-it-myself. Um, they're kind of they're self-directed, self-motivated, and I'm just going to do it myself. And um, 
And then you move to the millennials, and the millennials have been encouraged, shepherded. They have great self-esteem because they've been taught that in school their whole life. Um, they've been backstopped, and they have come to a belief and have done very well because I think they're a very learned, intelligent, and sophisticated group of people that know how to relate and interrelate that believe that the world, they can do anything in the world. And as a result of that, that kind of change in the culture, the change in learning, the change in societies and so forth, is very, very positive because what it enables the millennials to be able to do is that we're in the process right now of transferring over probably the next five or eight years, leadership from the boomers, they're going to skip the Gen Xers and largely go to the Millennials. That huge structural, political, social, and economic shift we're right in the middle of. And it's, it, it hasn't fully realized. But thinking about that, when you think the Millennialists and what they're able to do and what they're capable of, they believe in themselves, they're sophisticated, they're learning, they know how to relate, they know how to teamwork together, they know how to build a consortium necessary to get a job done. And regardless of the challenges that this nation faces because of the economic circumstances from the coronavirus and so forth, we're looking at a group that I really feel like that have the necessary skills to develop a response to ultimately bring this country to the next 50 years. And in this transition, that's what we're going to see. So we have the right people coming forward. And I think that manifests itself in the same type of young people in terms of evangelism and the work in the church. You can see it in the way that they're passionate, they're committed, they're knowledgeable, they're enthusiastic, and they're energetic. And I'm really excited for the church for them and really for the culture. Man, I hope our SALT students listen to that because how encouraging to have an older <laughs> gentleman so believe in you and so have optimism and hope rather than, oh, these young rascals, what are they? You know what I mean? Instead, it's so full of optimism. And I was thinking, actually, Jim, as you were talking rightly, I amen totally agree with your assessment of the of the next generation what i am kind of sorry about isn't so much on their shoulders as much as uh our generation is that i think that they've had to enter into their adult years with a severe erosion of just trust like in general relative to the kind of trust that we just had as the cultural ethos in other words whether i was going to church with my parents, school with my peers, walking down the street, meeting up with a police officer, whatever it was, I had a level of trust in general <laughs> about all things that has been really eroded. And that's more on us, something that we're handing this next generation. You know, I think in our growing up years, things like Vietnam, things like Watergate began to actually fracture like culturally a trust in authority and and that kind of thing. But that just snowballed, you know, to where now 
people generally distrust their teachers or authorities or the cops or the government or whatever, you know what I mean? And so there, these guys have to be kind of overcomers in that way. You know what I mean? I, I, I feel like we've kind of given them a limp in some ways. So I think they're incredibly gifted and prepared and, and are going to be trustworthy, but I'm sorry that we've, we've kind of brought them into a world that is more of a milieu of, of distrust, you know? Mm. I, I think they're loving. Uh, they're a real kind and loving group. They, they really care about each other. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. Yeah, Dad, what about you? What are some of your reflections on kind of well, I, to now, this generation? Yeah, I think one of the things that, uh, that stands out in my mind was how in, in, the, uh, in the relationships and the neighborhoods that uh, I remember our little neighborhood, and it seemed like the families were, were intact. You know, the, it seemed like there were, it was rare that there was not an intact family. And I think that's probably the thing about our, our gen, this present time that disturbs me the most, is so many, many families are broken. Uh, there was still a culture of, of uh, where divorce was pretty rare, you know? And, uh, and so I think, uh, you know, my, of course, my, my desire is that love and faithfulness will become a, a, a value once again. It's something that God would have to revive in our culture yeah. because it seems like uh, there's so much brokenness that we see, that I see now that seemed so uncommon when I was, when I was young. I don't know, is that, was that true with, with the rest of you too? It was very rare that, that, a, that, a, that a, any of the kids that I knew were from broken homes. It was just almost not, just never heard of it. I don't, I don't know any. Yeah. We, we had a large extended family and there was not one divorce in it until mm -hmm. I had a cousin that was a little bit older. It was the first one. Yeah. So, but it just, it was just such a rare thing. And, and that, that, that grieves me, you know, as I see it, but, uh, but I, it, it, uh, it was a, in a lot of ways, it was a simpler time, but but we saw the dawn of entertainment and things just flooding. You know, uh, I, re I remember as a as a businessman, the first calculators that came out, the very first calculators back in the seventies. And just think, that was that was a long time ago. But in my mind, I can still remember it like it wasn't that long ago. Oh, Calculator. Yeah. And, and so things that knowledge has just increased and doesn't the bible say that in the last days knowledge will increase and so i to me it's more obvious that things are accelerating uh and i i can't help i i think of the what peter said the end of all things is near and he wrote that almost two thousand years ago it's a lot closer now yeah. you know as we see things just accelerating so you guys, all of you guys have this in common that, that you have this optimism. Like Jeff said, you're, you're the opposite of the stereotypical grumpy old person banging their cane against the couch, <laughs> complaining about everything, all the bad things. What, you guys all spend time with young people. What's your optimism and hope for them? 
What do you see in them? What's your, yeah. I'm just going to tie together both what Jack said and Doug said. And that is, it's true that there's challenges, not only what Jeff said with trust and from many of them from broken homes and so forth. But I think Doug said something that resonates with me that they are kind and they are loving the millennialists. And I feel like God prepares the seasons and brings the skills, the talents, the giftedness necessary to address those things that the culture creates. And that's why I'm very optimistic because when you think of the millennialists, they care about each other. They love each other. They're there to support each other. Uh, they're very selfless oftentimes. And you can see, and even though we're bringing and leaving them a culture that has some significant challenges to them, God has instilled in them the very thing they need to overcome the very weaknesses that were setting at their feet. And I think that's what the faithfulness of God is all about, is that we create messes, we create chaos, we create hurt and so forth, but God shepherds these people and brings and instills in them the very thing that individuals need, communities need, churches need, cultures need. And so God will bring the people there that are needed to meet the needs that are created because of sin or discordancy or chaos. He is there to shepherd people along to address the very weaknesses that we have. Yeah. And I see that in the millennialists. It's just, it's incredible. It's good. Good. There's, there's a lot of... I mean, you know, we've, Veritas, I mean, our passion is the next generation and exciting to see them. And you guys, it, it's like revival breaking out here in Iowa City, um, around the Salt Network, uh, City Light in Omaha. You guys are all, we're seeing God and that's, yeah, do some, do some amazing things. And we're excited about that. So um, let me end with, we're going to kind of land this with just a speed round of advice. Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys advice for, um, let's, let's start with uh, advice for a young Christian who's just getting started their spiritual journey. Just get, try to give us some quick hitting. Make finding advice. God a priority that you carry with you each and every day. Don't be afraid to ask hard questions. Yeah, learn learn to love and listen to the word of God. Mm. Jeff. Yeah, that's, I was going to say, read your Bible. <laughs> I mean, I just, read your Bible a lot. That's, man, it's the source of truth, right? It, that, that's where yeah. we're going to drink deeply. I'm with Jack. All right. Advice for singles. People who might be experiencing some loneliness and want companionship. I would say, look, oh, sorry, Jack, you go. Uh, 
learn to learn to live in community and delight yourself in the Lord. Yeah, I was just going to say, look, look to the church. Um, don't, don't like despise the most obvious set of family members and community that God has birthed you into and right. look to your local church. All right. I like Jack's comment, live in community, live in community, be intentional about that. Mm-hmm. Advice to husbands. You can't outserve your wife. Mm. A wife is the most precious gift that you will ever get in life. Value if you it. love your life, wife well, um, yeah. it will just reap rewards. Uh, through generations. Yep. Jim, finish your thought. You were... Oh, I'm sorry. I got in there too soon. No, no, uh, I was just going to say, as the most valuable thing in life, your most valuable possession, treat it as such, nurture it as such, love it as such, care for it as such. And in that, you will reap the rewards that you will not get anywhere else except through Christ. Mm. Yeah. Jim, I heard you share before too. You just said, listen to her. Absolutely. <laughs> Learn to listen. Jeff. Yeah, that was my, my advice is going to actually be channeled through me, but from my wife when uh, just a few days ago, she reminded me again, Hey, just so you know, you didn't marry you, you married me. <laughs> so when you put all, project all of the expectations you have on yourself at me, that doesn't work well because I'm not you. <laughs> so it actually, you know, is absolutely true. I mean, when you go back to Genesis 2, uh, Adam and Eve were, they corresponded to each other. They weren't the same individual. They corresponded. They, they made up for each other's like, and, and so I'm just saying, appreciate that your wife is very much unlike you and delight in that. Don't, don't let that drive you crazy, though it does at times. <laughs> don't, don't be tyrannized by that. Instead, delight in the way that she's very different than you. Mm. All right. Advice to young dads. Man, I got to start. Be patient. I'm, I'm watching. We've, we've got my oldest son here because he's a National Guardsman and is here in Iowa City for that. So he has brought uh, his two girls with him. Watching his patience as he is a father to those children, I keep wanting to and have said, I'm so sorry. I was not that kind of dad to you. I felt like I was too rigid, too demanding, uh, was not patient. I just want to say what I am now as a grandparent, I wish I had been more as a dad. And what I see in my, my son, Seth, as a dad, I wish I was that. And my other kids, too, are better parents than, than I was, I believe. So be patient. Wow. Be patient. Buy trampolines. <laughs> we, we, we wore out three trampolines. 
That's awesome. Our backyard always had like a baseball diamond worn out in the, you could never get grass to grow on home plate first, second, or third. <laughs> now you're always like, you guys got to come out because my grass is looking great, but there's no one to play on it. So. <laughs> Trampolines are dangerous. We've had a lot of injuries, Dad, but uh, right. it was a different time. We didn't have nets back then to keep us from flying off. Nobody um, was killed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the standard jack set. <laughs> All right, Doug, advice to dads. Uh uh, not just quality time, but time. Because mm. the, the big word when I was a young parent was quality time. I think that was, uh, I think that's uh, probably Satan inspired. I don't spend much time with my kids, but when I do, it's quality. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. In the same kind of theme uh, with both Jeff and Doug and Jack is that um, there's always things that get in your way. There's always things that uh, the tyranny of the urgent and the immediate will always drag you away from your family and your wife and your kids. Um, I would say live life without regrets in a way that it doesn't take very long before they're gone. So make that time available to them because before you know it, they're gone. Mm. And they've got to be a priority because there's always something that gets in the way. Um, and there's always a reason because you got one more something to do, one more need, one more urgent thing. Um, but the, you only have them once for an only short time. They've got to be a priority. One other thing came to my mind, and if you can, have supper together. Yeah. Have supper together. And, and you know, you, the conversation and the time together is so, so bonding. Such a good time. Yeah, my only thing is, one thing that's been great for Leith and I is going on long walks together because it forces, you know, we're side by side, but we're doing something. We're headed somewhere. Usually, Leith and I have our best times on a walk or in a car. You know, uh, I'm kind of a captive audience at that point. Um, one uh, advice to grandparents. So this would be your peers. Who's got the most? Well... I don't know. You guys, I think, I think you guys are all, you know, what's, what's cool is, uh, I've seen, um, I've seen you guys, you guys all are in such different situations with grandkids. And, and I guess, um, I love, here's what I've seen in you guys. Um, Jim, I see this in you and Jolene too. Is you guys invest your lives and your time in people and the next generation your grandkids you've got a lot of you you guys you you just prioritize it. you spend time and and so i that's been an example to me so um yeah that 
yeah, like dad, you're coming out and helping serve and playing with kids and uh, mm -hmm. Doug, I mean, you and Gene just like going, taking flights, taking time, going to, you know, take care of, yeah, be with, be with your grandkids and, and Jeff and you guys and, and Jim, I see you and Jolene just time with people investing in like spiritual grandkids and all that. Um, my last, okay, we're going to just one last question to dad and then I'll let Jeff have the last word. Dad, one of your axioms is don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Uh, to be, to be an initiator of love and, uh, and expressions of, of, uh, affection and encouragement to, uh, to not be afraid that, Hey, I, if, if I do that, I might not get back. Uh, but to, to pursue, to pursue, uh, that, uh, a life of, of reaching out to people and loving people uh, and not to be fearful that, that uh, it won't be reciprocated. Yep. It's a good word. Jim, Doug, any last things you want to say? Final words, thoughts? I love Veritas church and I love what it does and its investment in the youth in the next generation and you're faithful to God's word and there's nothing more noble than being faithful to God's word. Mm. Doug, anything you want to closing thoughts? Uh, oh, it, I, it just seems simple, but just keep identifying uh, young leaders and discipling them. Just keep it going. Mm -hmm. mm. Amen. Jeff, I'll let you have the last word. Well, I just love that, you know, this screen is, is full of older guys that are not preoccupied with wanting to preserve something, protect something. They're ready to hand off that baton and fully entrust their lives and things that they've built and loved to the next generation. So that's, I hope that that's a huge encouragement to any of the younger listeners that, that's the caliber, at least that we're privileged to experience around here. And um, so guys, we're going to be going through first John um, starting in June uh, this summer as a church family going to be going through first John. And when we get to chapter two, there's a little enigmatic section there where John kind of changes his style of writing and writes almost like a little poem, a little song or whatever. And uh, he, he specifically targets little children fathers and young men. But the thing that he says to the fathers, so the older, those that have walked with Christ for a long time, he says, I am writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And he says that same exact thing twice. He has a little different things to say to the other two groups. He says the exact same thing to the fathers twice. And I think what he's trying to say is, yeah, fathers, you kind of become repositories of truth and not just truth, but truth as it's hit the ground, truth as it's, as it's walked through this life. And as you've done the Psalm 23, following the good shepherd. So you become an invaluable resource to the younger ones who just haven't had as much, you know, time on this planet. And so, man, a thanks for the encouragement that you're giving to all the younger people. 
And then B, if you are those younger people, my encouragement is look to the fathers, especially those fathers that are so generous with their, uh, their trust toward you. And uh, man, what a, what a beautiful thing if God's church could really learn to value every stage of spiritual life and journey and uh, let the fathers take their rightful place and cheerlead that next generation on. So you guys are huge examples to me. You're just a couple steps ahead of me, just a couple. And so, man, love the path you're on that you're blazing. I want to follow it. I want to follow your example. Yep. And you. You know, Paul, my, Paul uh, uses this word in Greek for when he says, I press on toward the goal. Uh, in Greek, the word is I stretch. And it's, it's the word for right before the tape, that last stretch that they make to try to be the first one across the finish line. Uh, he uses that word to say how he wants to be in his relationship to God. And I, I really see you guys living in that position as you get closer to the finish line and uh, keep running and keep making that trail, that path of righteousness more and more obvious uh, to those of us who are coming behind you guys. Uh, we need that. So what a fun conversation, guys. Thanks so much. Look forward to uh, seeing you guys next Wednesday morning, but also, uh, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the round table. And I hope whoever's listening has been encouraged uh, like I am. And I hope that you've gotten some perspective today from hearing some older voices. And I hope you'll just, this will be a first step in seeking out older people in your life and just uh, getting around them and, and asking them uh, to teach you and to learn from them. There's so much to offer. So guys, thanks so much. It's been fun. Uh, we will see you next time. Have a great week, guys.